want you to do is turn to Romans chapter 6, verse 23, and uh, let's get into this. And um, because our focus this month, if you've noticed, is uh, we have this three for 30, three months. And um, these are three things that we want to really focus on between now and the year 2030, but for about 30 days each time too, you could say. And so for September, we're talking about reaching. And then in October, about training or discipleship. And then in November, about giving or stewardship. And so as we're talking about reaching, it starts with reaching those closest to us. About reaching our kids. And I want to tell you, parents, we're going to talk more about this in the discipleship section next month. But we've got to get serious about reaching our own kids because I want to tell you something. The enemy is focused and honed in on trying to reach your kids and get them diverted onto a path that leads to destruction. This is serious. This isn't, this isn't there's no games here. This is life and death, eternal life and death. Satan has a plan and if we just buy into it, he wants to destroy Listen, teenagers, young people, he wants to destroy your happiness. He wants you to live for yourself. He wants you to buy into his lies that sound so attractive and reject his truth that leads to life and fulfillment and purpose in heaven. This is real. And I tell you, he loves to operate under smoke screens. He will, he will use whatever he can, wherever he can, However he can, he'll use every tool, he'll use technology, he'll use schedules, he'll use whatever. He uses peer pressure, is one of the big things. So the enemy is very focused on his job. And I have to say, looks like he's having a lot of success. And that's strange, isn't it? Because according to the word of God... He really, he has no power except what we let him have. He was defeated on the cross in the power of the resurrection. He hasn't even got the power to make you sin. People want to do terrible things, say terrible things, and they want to blame other people or something or even blame God. Listen, no one else nor the devil himself has got the power to make you do anything. And God says he loves you so much, he's not going to make you serve him or love him back. But he made you in his own image and he gives you a will and he allows you to make a choice. And the, the natural thing that happens because we're cursed by sin is we just choose to buy into the devil's lies because it feels like and it seems like it's the easiest and the most fun. And it's all a lie. Leads to destruction. Solomon said years ago in Proverbs, there's a path that seems right, but the end is destruction. We're a lot of times, we're a farming community like cattle. They don't even get suspicious when we bring them in and start graining them real heavy and giving them all this good food to eat. The thought never occurs to them, wait a minute, what if they're fattening me up so they can butcher me? But that's the way the enemy, all this glamorous and this stuff that seems so good and appeals to our fleshly appetites. And it just seems like, man, I'm just, and, but, but you don't realize 
He's just getting you ready for destruction. It's deceptive, okay? Now, that's why we've got to get serious about this. We've got to get serious about reaching our own families, our own kids, our own parents, or whoever, our neighbors, and those around us, and those in our nation, because we don't live in a Christian nation anymore. We may even be past what we used to call post-Christian. So there's a lot of reaching that needs to be done right here. Yeah, a lot of evangelism. Evangelism means what? We talked about the meaning last week. It means sharing the good news, the gospel, with people who are in darkness. They don't even know it. Okay? So today we're going to talk about, last week the most important thing you'll ever do, and that's to share that message. I mentioned last week that there's, out of all the purposes of the church, we see even in Acts 2 and we see in the New Testament, the purposes that we have uh, that of worship, Right? Um, we have instruction, or discipleship, uh, we, we have fellowship, right? We have ministry, serving, and we have evangelism. Out of those five purposes that we see that we fulfill for God in this world, there is only one of them that we only have the space of during our time on earth to do. Because we're going to continue to worship, we're going to continue to learn, we're going to continue to fellowship, we're going to continue to serve throughout all eternity. But there's one, and that is sharing the gospel with people who are lost. And whenever you die, that's, you know, you're not going to have a chance to share the gospel here anymore. Jesus even gives us this neat glimpse into a scene, whether it's a real scene or one he just gave as an example, we don't know for sure. In Luke 16, about a rich guy who just lived for himself every day and he uh, had a beggar that hung out and just wanted crumbs that fell off his table. Well, the beggar had faith in God and the rich man didn't. The day came, they both died. The rich man found himself in torment and the beggar was right there sitting by Abraham over in paradise. And it's like he could see him over there. There was a great gulf fix. He couldn't pass over. But the guy that had rejected God's truth all of his life, all of a sudden became very evangelistically minded. Because he asked Abraham. He said, please, Luke 16, check it out if you haven't read it. Luke 16, he said, send Abraham. I got, I got like five brothers back on earth. Send Abraham. Or not send Abraham. Send Lazarus, that beggar, because they knew him and they saw him laying at my gate and felt all bad for him. But, but they would recognize, send him back and have him warn them lest they come to this awful place. And you remember what Abraham said? They've got Moses and the prophets. At that time, that was all of the Bible that had been written. He said, if they won't listen to that, they won't listen even if someone came back from the dead. And that tells me if the word of God won't do it for you. There's no miracle. There's no, if you're waiting for God to strike down lightning or do some sign or some trick to get you to believe, here's what he's saying. If you won't believe the testimony of this, it wouldn't matter if somebody came back from the dead and tried to talk to you. The Word of God, the Spirit of God using the Word of God, but he uses us as his instruments to be the, they'll go between the ones who share it. It's the most important thing you'll ever do. And so I want to just hone in for a few minutes. And you say, well, this is, this is at the heart of every message we preach. I hear this all the time from you. It's the most important message ever. It's the gospel. All right? And we don't ever need to get numb to it. We don't ever need to get tired of it. How could you get bored with it? 
This is it right here. This is the message, the most important message ever. And I want to read Romans 6.23. There are so many places we could go. Um, as he says this, the wages of sin is death. That's all you can earn. But the gift, the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Wages of sin is death. Gift of God, free gift of God, eternal life. You choose. You want death. You want life. You want darkness. You want light. You want to have it your own way? Or you want to receive the gift that God's gone to a lot of trouble to give you? So if we're truly disciples of the Lord, and if you have understood this message, and if you have received this message, it's absolutely necessary that there be something happening inside of you that if you truly believe, if Christ has truly saved you, if Christ has truly transformed you, if Christ is truly living in you, there is no way you can keep this important message to yourself. No way. The world has a lot of religions, folks. But it only has one gospel. It only has one gospel. And that gospel must be received. It must be understood. And it must be applied. People have to receive it. They have to be willing to hear it. But they also need to understand it. That's where we all come in. But then it has to be applied to their life. There was a pastor walking down the street one day and a wealthy businessman joined him walking. This guy owned these huge companies that manufactured all kinds of soap. And the pastor began to talk to the guy and the guy said, Ah! He said, That gospel that you preach hasn't done much good in this world. He said, Why? People are still wicked. People are still evil. I don't see that it's made much impact. The pastor didn't say anything. They walked a little further and he saw a little boy playing in the ditch over there. It was covered in mud and dirt. And the pastor said, well, you know what? That soap that you guys make, I don't think it does any good. I mean, look at that kid. There are so many dirty, stinky people in this world. I don't think soap does a bit of good. And the guy said, whoa, wait a minute. said, in order for soap to do good, you've got to apply it. And the pastor said, aha. Right? Yeah. Just so with the gospel. It will do no good unless people receive it, understand it, and apply it. And this is what we are all partly about. Uh, and so the reason why we need this message is we have a problem. <laughs> we do. We have a problem. We do. Let's talk about our problem. We're going to talk about our problem. We're going to talk about our predicament. We're going to talk about the penalty. And then we're going to talk about God's provision. The solution. So, as we always say, to appreciate the good news, you've got to understand the what? The bad news. Otherwise, the good news isn't good news, it's just news. There's a reason why it's good news, and it's because of the bad news, but you've got to see the bad news against, uh, you've you got you to understand. In other words, you've got to see the good news against the backdrop of the bad news. Because God's truth is like light, and the Bible tells us we live in a world full of darkness. Now, when the beams of God's light and God's truth begin to shine into our lives, it exposes 
things that we don't want to see even ourselves. It exposes something that shocks us, our sin. That's why a lot of people don't want the light of the word of God is because I have to admit, not just, I mean, everybody like, I want to go to heaven. But the first thing is I've got to admit that I am a sinner, that I'm lost and I can't save myself. And that not only have I done wrong, I am wrong. And the pride of people do not, they do not want to admit that. I want to be in control. And for a lot of people, Jesus is just an add-on. Like, I want to live my life. I want to do my thing, my way. But I want Jesus just to be like an add-on that will just help me when I need help. Help me be positive. Help me be successful and go to heaven. That's a false gospel. He may do a lot of those things in your life. But he's not an add-on. To help you just be you. He is the Lord of heaven. God. See we don't even understand the concept of who God is. You see how radiant and powerful the sun is? God spoke that into existence. It's nothing before him. We get in, 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 in view of the glory and power and awesomeness of God. Every one of us would be on our face bowing before him. He is God. The greatest thing we can do is to glorify him through our lives. He gives us the ability to do that. That's what we're studying on Wednesday night. Somehow or another, we think that God is like a genie in the bottle, that it's really more about us. We almost look at ourselves as, if we're not careful, as little gods. And big God's just there to help us. No, he's God. It's about him. And it's not selfish for God to be that way. You want to know why? He's God. You realize that before Jesus died on the cross, Jesus himself said he could have sent 12 legions of angels and wiped out the universe. Like that. We just don't get it, do we? We don't even get it. We don't even begin to understand a sliver of who he is and who we are in light of who he is and how that he made us different as far as we know from all the rest of creation in the whole universe, as far as we know. And we know for sure on planet earth, we're the only ones created in his image. Operate different than animals or anything else. Gave us ability to love him or love or reject him and we chose to reject him. And when we see the light of God's power shining down, it exposes the fact that we're sinners and we're selfish and we want to just do things our own way. And when we trust God, sometimes we just want God to help us get our will done. Instead of his will done on earth, we want our will done. We just want God to help us. Instead of surrendering our life and say, Lord, here I am to do whatever in me, through me, that you desire because you are Lord. Romans 3, 23 is the verse there. You'll see it uh, on the board. Romans 3, 23 declares all have sinned and all fall short of the glory of God. Every single person falls short. This is a problem we all have. A problem every one of us are lost. We can't save ourselves. We've all fallen short. It doesn't matter how good you think you are. You're still lost. Uh, this is the biggest objection that people have to the gospel. We try to clean up. We have reformation. We have resolutions. We have things like that. Kind of like the housemaid who was lazy 
And, you know, the owner was wanting to, to fire her. And it's kind of like she'd do all this work and all this stuff. And um, she's like, okay, the room's ready because she's kind of like in trouble. And they walk in and it looks pretty clean. But then the owner goes over and throws open the curtains and the sunlight comes pouring in, exposing all the places that she didn't dust and all the corners that she didn't bother to get to and said, huh, doesn't look very clean to me. And the maid said, ha, if it wasn't for that nasty sunlight coming in here, it would be fine. And I think that's the way some people look spiritually. If it wasn't for the light of the gospel, I would feel okay about myself. But now the gospel comes and the word of God exposes the fact that I'm a sinner. And people don't want to hear that. But it's true. All have sinned. All come short of the glory of God. That represents God's perfection, God's holiness, all of who he is. We fall short of that. We're all included in that verse. So we need to understand what that word sin means. We've all sinned. Interestingly enough, it is in the original language that, that Paul wrote, it is an archery term. Now, some of you bow hunters are already out there. Season is open. The rest of us are kind of like, i got to hone up my skills, get out and start doing some shooting. Uh, literally, it is a term. Sin means to miss the mark. I mean, we don't even hit the target. We don't even get close. We all miss the mark of God's perfection. It doesn't, we don't even hit the target at all. And the bullseye we should be aiming at is the glory of God, and we've all missed God's standard which is absolute perfection and holiness. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter how rich, how poor, what you've done, how good you think you've been, how bad you think you've been. None of us measure up. We're all really in the same boat. See, we like to measure ourselves against each other. But God doesn't do that. God says the standard, he measures us. So it doesn't do any good to say you're as good as other people that go to this church or that church or anybody or his grandma or mom. Or I'm as good as so-and-so. Now, it doesn't do you any good to do that because God isn't ever going to measure you against other people. God measures you, he says here, against his own standard of perfection and we fall short. None of us measure up. Uh, so when I look at God's scales, I see what is he measuring me against? Not other people. He's not just weighing my good against my bad. And as long as my good outweighs my bad, I get in. He's weighing me against the standard of his perfection. And unless I'm as perfect as Jesus himself, I fall short. And I'm a sinner. And I'm lost. And I need to be saved. That's what the bad news is. That's our problem. And there are no exceptions. In fact, look at this. In Romans 3.10... He's quoting from the Old Testament, by the way, where he says, there is none righteous. To be righteous means to be right with God and living perfectly like he wants or to have a right standing with God. There is none righteous. You know what none means? Means none. <laughs> Zero. It says there is none who naturally on their own understands. There is none who seeks after God. That's how lost we are. That's how depraved we are. We inherited it from Adam that on our own, we are not righteous. We don't even seek God. That's why he has to draw us. It says, they have all turned aside. They have together become unprofitable. There is none who does good. No, not one. Well, I try to be good. God says, really? What you call good, I don't call good. There is none who does good. 
Bible even declares we're born into this world under that condition of sin. This is that inborn because of the curse of the flesh. It's in our heart. Our very nature is corrupted by sin. When Adam and Eve fell, when Adam and Eve sinned, it corrupted our nature, our fleshly nature. You might say even sin is in our DNA. And that we are born sinners. This is what the evidence of the Bible says, and it's evidence that I see in life. Even David said this in Psalm 51, 5. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me. According to the Bible, life starts at conception. You see, that's why uh, sanctity of life is, is an issue. Because everywhere in the Bible, if you want to know what God thinks, God thinks life begins there. Okay, And he even said, even in conception, I was a sinner. I was born, I inherited from my mom and my dad that sinful nature. That corruption. We try to hide it. We try to cover it up. But we can't get rid of it. We have that tendency. You even see it. I mean, those grandkids are great. But I tell you what. If they weren't so little. You don't have to teach them to pinch and bite. I mean, there's some of them, if they were big, they would take over the world, you know, if they could. And the fury when they don't get their way and stuff. Where does that come from? It's not a survival instinct. Because a two-year-old won't survive in an adult world very long by biting people. Or by pinching. Or by screaming. So it's not that. There's something beyond that with them, with humans, with us. It's a sinful nature. We want to be boss. We want to be in charge. We want our way. And you see that in our nature. So we're sinners by nature. We're sinners by birth because we've inherited from Adam. And we're all sinners by choice. Because every one of us have chosen to do it. To sin against God. We call sin by a lot of names, but God just says, it's sin, you fall short. Tony Evans said this, what we call accidents, God calls abominations. What we call blunders, God calls blindness. What we call chance, God calls choice. What we call defects, God views as spiritual disease. What we call error, God calls enmity. What we call a fascination, God calls a fatality. What we describe as infirmity, God describes as iniquity. What we view as liberty, God views as lawlessness. What we call weakness, God says was really willingness. Amen. I'll say it myself. So God's view of sin is different than ours. We can't understand our sin or its consequences unless we get our understanding from God's word. That he didn't weigh things in degrees like we do. He measures everything against his perfection and his holiness and we all fall short in judgment. Like I said, your good's not going to be weighed against your bad. It is, do you measure up? And if you don't, you need to be saved. There's a story. Years ago, there was an eruption of a volcano on an island. And the lava flow was going to cover the whole thing. Everybody was going to die. There were these two explorers who were there. And they were trying to jump across this chasm to safety. Where the lava flow would not get them. And they both perished. One of them was an old man and he didn't jump very far. The other one had been a star athlete in college. And he leaped off that as the lava was coming toward him. And he sailed through the air. But guess what? No human could jump that far. 
And they both equally fell short and died. And that's just an illustration of you may think you're a little better. You come from a little better family. You might have it together a little better than some people else. uh, But it doesn't matter. You can't spiritually jump far enough. You can't make it. You're just as lost as anybody else. Doesn't matter how good or how bad. That's what the problem is. That's the bad news. That's why the good news is so important. Oswald Chambers said this, There's nothing attractive about the gospel to the natural person. The only man who finds the gospel attractive is the man who is convicted of sin. Once I understand that I'm a sinner in the eyes of a holy, perfect God, then the gospel becomes very attractive to me. Once I get that. So as we said, God created human beings in a unique way in his own image by giving us. And part of that was mind, will, and emotion. We have a free will whereby we can choose to rebel against his authority. And we've all done it. Adam and Eve fell short of his glory in the Garden of Eden when they ate the forbidden fruit. The issue was not, listen to me, the piece of fruit. It was that Adam decided that he was going to run his own life And Eve decided they were going to run their own lives and do their own thing their own way and doubt what God had said. That really they wanted to be their own God. He was going to live autonomously from this living God. And that's what we want. We want to just be autonomous from the very one that gives us each breath and each beat of the heart. Really? So we just don't see it clearly. But as a result of what Adam and Eve did, human nature was corrupted. As I said, this is why you don't have to teach children to be selfish. You don't have to teach them to be mean or, or things like that. Some of the first learn, words in English I think kids learn is, Mine! It's kind of like, you ever bite into an apple and find a worm? Or worse yet, bite into an apple and find half a worm? Or Albert, you see an apple and it's got a hole in it. You think, well, there's been a worm in there. So I'm not going to bite it. I'm going to cut it up. But you cut it up and there's no worm. Where's the worm? Well, the thing about it is, is the worm didn't eat his way in. He ate his way out. When the blossoms are, 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 are all forming and everything, the apple is forming, the uh, little critter lays its eggs on those blossoms, those buds and those blossoms, and then the apple grows around it. And then at some point, the egg hatches into it. The larvae, which is the worm, that actually is like, man, I'm born and I've got a ready-made meal here. They eat their way out. That's how that happens. So when we see sin, it's not just because our society affected us or something in our, our surroundings. It's because what you're seeing on the outside was already on the inside. We already had a sin-cursed heart. We already have a sin-cursed flesh that comes out of us. Because it's what is there. And that's why God says that we, it needs to be dealt with. The result is we've all sinned. And we are all alienated from God. But the good news is, when you get saved, God grafts in the seed of the Holy Spirit. And God himself supplies the power to overcome that sinful fleshly nature. So you don't have to be in bondage to it. So our problem is that we're sinners. Our predicament is we cannot save ourselves by the works that we do. We can't. There's nothing you can do to earn it. In fact, the Bible is very clear. For by grace, Ephesians 2.8, you have been saved. This is the greatest message ever. For by grace, you have been saved through faith. It's God's grace. 
God giving the gift of Christ paying for our sins. It's that grace. Grace means giving us what we don't deserve. He's given us mercy and grace. Mercy is not giving us what we do deserve, and that's judgment. But he gave us grace, that is, his riches of his self that we could never earn or deserve. For by grace you have been saved through faith. How do you receive God's grace? By trusting him, by faith. He says, this is not your own doing. You didn't, you didn't earn it. He paid for it. It is a gift of God. There it is again, gift. Wage of sin is death, but the gift of God, eternal life. Notice he emphasizes in verse 9, not a result of works that you do so that no one can boast. If it was, you'd be going around heaven bragging about how Jesus didn't have to do much dying for you. And we'd be all sick of you before the day's over. That doesn't sound like heaven. There's nothing you can do to earn it. If you could earn it, then God would owe you. God owes us nothing. He's God. That's why Paul said in Romans chapter 4, verse 4 and 5, Here's he explain this, because, see, people coming from the Old Testament covenant into this new covenant that God had made, they're having trouble with some of this. So he said in Romans 4, 4 and 5, he says, Now to him who works, the wages are not counted as grace, but as debt. If you do work, you're doing that in exchange for money. So if you get a paycheck, it's not grace, it's not a gift, you earned it. it was, they owed it to you. It says, but to him who does not work, but believes on him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is accounted for righteousness. So if you could earn it, God would owe it to you. God doesn't owe you anything. So it's not that way, but it's like this. If you do not work, but you believe, that means have faith in him who justifies. That means makes right with him, the ungodly. Your faith is credited for righteousness. Did you hear that? That right standing with God where your sins are gone and there's no barrier there because of what Jesus did on the cross. He talks in that chapter about this. How that our sins were put on Jesus and it's like Jesus paid the sin debt. He paid that, that the only way you could pay it would be separated from God forever. But Jesus could pay it and he paid it on the cross. When you come to him by faith, that payment is applied to your sin account. But not only that, not only your sins wiped away, but Jesus lived and fulfilled the law in every way in absolute perfection and righteousness. Then the Bible says his righteousness is accounted. That means deposited into our account. So it's like the simple way that we've always said it. When you receive Christ, when God looks at you, he no longer sees your sin. It's gone, but he sees Jesus in your heart. He doesn't see my righteousness because on my own, I have none. The righteousness that you and I have is Christ's righteousness deposited into our life, in our account. Depending on what translation you read, accounted or imputed into our account. He leaves no doubt about the fact that we can't save ourselves in Galatians 2.16. He said, yet we know that a person is not justified by the works of the law... The Old Testament law keeping. He says, but here's how you receive that. It's through faith in Jesus Christ. Did you hear that? He says, so we also have believed, have faith in Christ Jesus. In order to be justified by faith in Christ, not by the works of the law. Listen to this statement. Because by works of the law, no one will be justified. 
He's saying again, there's no amount of law keeping or even those Old Testament things under the Old Covenant. There's nobody that can do that and, and well enough that you can be saved. No one can. It's only through faith in Christ. In fact, he tells us that when you try to do it on your own, you end up like those Jews who had trouble receiving the good news. He says in Romans 10, 13, he's speaking of them. He says, for they, being ignorant of God's real righteousness, right? Of God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted to the righteousness of God. And that's just like people trying to earn their own way and find their own way and just think God ought to be okay with it. He says, you're missing it. You're trying to establish it on your own. You haven't even submitted yourself to the righteousness of God. And in fact, he tells us that even if you could keep every bit of the law nearly, but if you only make one mistake, you're still bad shape. James 2.10, whoever shall keep the whole law and yet stumble in one point is guilty of all. So guess what? Even if you could do everything except one little thing, he says you're just as guilty as if you... Now, it doesn't mean go break all of it because we're talking about condemnation, not consequences, right? Right? Okay, you get that? But he says you're just as much a sinner in God's eyes. He's that perfect. He's that holy. And then there's this penalty. The wages of sin is what did it say in our text? Death. Thank you. Yeah. Death. The word death in the Bible means separation. Not cessation. It doesn't mean you cease to live. It means separation. When you die a physical death, your soul, your spirit is separated from your body. Those who die the eternal death are separated from God and all that is God forever and ever and ever. The only question about our life is this. Once you're conceived, the Bible teaches, then you are an eternal being. That there's a beginning to humans. There's no beginning to God, but there's a beginning to humans. There was a beginning to angels. God created angels, but, but there's a beginning to all of these things. There was a beginning to creation. There's a beginning to your life. But the Bible teaches very clearly that humans exist forever. So you're going to exist forever, but the choice is yours of how and where. God gives you that choice. God gives you that ability. And there's no more important question that any of us have to deal with. We have a, an appointment with physical death, all of us. And we're going to be judged. You cannot believe this until it happens. It ain't going to change it. Either the word of God is true or it's not. Not believing this doesn't change it. Because he tells us in Hebrews 9, 27, it is appointed for men, and that means mankind, to die once. That's the physical death. But after this, the judgment. Whether you believe in God or don't believe in God, you're going to stand before God. Does it do you any good to run from God, hide from God? All things were made by Him. All things are coming to Him. And this is what the Bible says. This isn't my thing. This is Bible. Because of sin, we must all die the physical death. Unless Christ comes back while we're alive, if that happens, then you won't die a physical death, but you'll be changed. The sin-cursed flesh will be laid aside and will be given a resurrected body. Flesh and blood can't inherit the kingdom because it's been cursed by sin, right? We've got that sin nature. One of these days, that sin nature is going to be gone. He tells us in Romans 8, 10, if Christ is in you, you're saved. Through the Spirit of God, Christ is living in you. The body is dead because of sin. That because of sin, we still will die the physical death. That's why things don't seem so easy here. That's why things don't seem so 
unfair here. It's that curse of sin. It's not God being cruel. It's the curse of sin. And I don't know why some people have to die the way that they do, but I know it looks different from that side than it does this side. The body is dead because of sin. But the spirit, that's the real you, the eternal you, is life because of righteousness. Whose righteousness? Jesus's. Remember, he's already talked about how that was put in your account. Verse 11. But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Amen. Amen. So even though my body is dead because of sin, I am, I, the real me has life because of Christ. And good news, body, that if Christ dwells in me, that he's going to give me a new resur- res- resurrected body someday. The spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives in you will bring, will cause this to happen in your life, this resurrection. Um, you know, because of Jesus, we don't have to die that forever death, that forever separation from God. We don't have to. Now, the Bible says that death has a sting to it. Did you know that? 1 Corinthians 15, 56, it says, the sting of death is sin, right? So death has a sting and it's sin. And the strength of sin is the law. Had there not been a law, we wouldn't know we had done anything wrong, right? I'm going to come back and finish the next verse after that because I don't want to leave it hanging, but I'm going to for just a moment or two. The sting of death is sin and the strength of sin is the law. The person who's not experienced forgiveness of sins through Christ will feel the full sting of death. You will pay the penalty of your own sin, which is eternal separation from God and all that is God. How could a loving God do that, you ask? Well, he's so loving that he himself suffered and provided a payment for your sin that allows you to be totally forgiven. He's holy and he's just. He went to a lot of trouble to keep you out of hell. He didn't prepare hell for you. The Bible says in Matthew 24 or 25, 41, that hell was prepared for the devil and his angels. If you go there, you go there as an intruder. If you go there, you go there because you reject God's gift of love through Jesus Christ. God allows you to make the choice, but your sins must be paid for either by you, by being separated from a perfect God, or you receive the payment that Jesus has already paid so that you can have life and fellowship and and, and enjoy God's presence forever. When you sin against an eternal being, it requires an eternal price. Woo! I don't know about you, but I don't want to be caught dead without Jesus. Amen? Last thing is God's provision. All that sounds pretty bad, but I like what it says in Romans 5 eight. But God. Hmm? You and I were dead in our trespasses and sins. There's nothing we could do to save ourselves. But God, he is able. Amen. But God demonstrates his own love toward us. In that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Though I was still a sinner. Somehow or another, he thought you and I were worth dying for. To pay for our sins. God was not powerless. We were powerless. He demonstrated his own love. Let's finish that verse from a while ago. 
The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law, 1 Corinthians 15, 56. Now verse 57, what's the answer? What's the answer? Thanks be to God. The answer is Him. Glorify Him. It all comes from Him. Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. The answer is Jesus. He took the sting of death for us on the cross. There's a story about a little boy who was allergic to bee stings. He found out in a very difficult way and they barely got him to the emergency room to get the shot uh, to, uh, to save his life. Had to carry the EpiPen around after that. But he and his dad were out one day in the field behind the house. They didn't have an EpiPen. And they come across some angry bees. And the bee was buzzing around the little boy and he was afraid, Dad, don't let it sting me. Because he knew he could die. And being a little child, he was very frightened. Dad, don't let the bee sting me. And he was kind of running around in circles. Don't let the bee sting me. And the bee was sure enough chasing him around. And, and the dad reached out and he grabbed the bee. Caught him in midair. And he stood there and he held it. And then pretty soon he let him loose. And the little boy screamed, No, Dad, don't let him loose. He said, Son, that bee can't hurt you. Look. And he already had a big whelp and redness and swelling in his hand. And in there was a little dark something. He said, You see that? That bee can only sting once. It's got a stinger. And the stinger came out when it stung me. That bee can't sting you anymore. Do you see what happened? On the cross, Jesus took that sting for you. Yeah. Jesus took it for you. And now death has lost its sting. That is, death can't hurt you. Death's just going to be the moment and the vehicle by which God propels you out of the sin and cursed flesh into the perfection that He has for you forever. He took the sting of death. Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Your sin debt is paid in full. God gets the credit for your salvation. God gets the glory and the credit for your transformation. Your sin debt. When Jesus died on the cross, he said the words, Tetelestai, which literally means it is finished. That's one word in the Greek, Tetelestai. It means literally paid in full. He paid the price. Why are you trying to pay for your sins in a way when it's already paid for? Why are you trying to why are you trying to atone for sins that's already been atoned for? Why don't you receive His gift? Why don't you just enjoy salvation? Why don't you just accept the fact by faith that you are, your, your sins have been paid for and that you can be forgiven? And why don't you just let Him transform you? And why don't you just let Him live in you? And why don't you just be willing to share this message of good news with everybody that's willing to hear it? Let's pray. Father, thank you.